So we're looking at the question really throughout this series, which is for God's people, and the book is written for that end, of how do I stay faithful? How do I remain faithful? What does faithfulness look like, and how do I stay faithful? And this book is written to God's people towards that. It's written to strengthen them. It's written to give guidance for what faithfulness looked like. It's written to give wisdom for what faithfulness looks like. And it's also written to give endurance for faithfulness because that is hard. Maybe you've got the strength. Maybe you've got the wisdom to be faithful, but endurance is difficult. If you are looking at your life for a lifetime of faithfulness, not just how do I be faithful today or how do I be faithful in this situation, but how do I endure for a lifetime? And I've always been fascinated, especially when I was a kid, but even now, and fascinated by kind of these human feats of endurance that you can look at. And there's a a specific guy named David Blaine who he does magic, but he also does these crazy endurance things. Uh, He stood on top of a pole for 35 hours in New York. Why? I don't know, but, you know, I don't know what happens in his brainstorming sessions of maybe I'll stand on a pole, but he stood on a pole for 35 hours. That's crazy, right? Endurance. Or one time he was frozen in a block of ice for 63 hours. Pretty crazy. Some of you think Colorado's cold. You moved from somewhere else, but David Blaine, 63 hours. He was in a fishbowl for a week. He had breathing tubes, but he lived in a fishbowl for a week. Perhaps the biggest miracle of that is he didn't have a phone for a week. Some of you, I don't know if you could do this only because of that. You're like, I could go without breathing. I could do that, but my phone for a week in a fishbowl. And then the craziest one that he did is he, for 44 days, went without food, only water, and was in this glass box suspended in London. Again, crazy, right? And you look at, man, humans actually, we can endure a lot. There's some crazy things that you can do. And we're fascinated by those kinds of things because endurance is hard in any area of life. It's hard to go for 44 days in a glass box, but it's also hard, just just ask your your, uh, January 2022 self. Endurance is hard, right? To keep up your goals. It's, It's hard to keep up your projects. It's hard to keep up your disciplines. It's easy to have an idea. It's harder to endure with something. It's easy in some ways to begin things, a lot harder to maintain them and endure them. Listen, even just if we go a little bit deeper in life, it's easier to begin a relationship than it is to endure one. It's easier to begin with God than it is to endure faithfulness with God. It's easier to check out a church and visit a church than it is to endure and say, I'm going to actually commit to this. It's easy to have kids. It's fun even to have kids, but to endure and to be a parent for a lifetime, that takes, that takes more difficulty. It's easy to start a job. You're excited and it's, it, you know, oh, I finally got this job I was looking for. It's harder to endure and actually stick it out through ups and downs. Endurance is hard, right? Endurance is difficult. And a lot of times I ask people, tell me about your vision for life. Tell me about kind of your five years or 10 years or just kind of who you want to be. And maybe even break it down into categories if I'm kind of coaching people through stuff. Tell me about what your vision is for your marriage or what your vision is for faith. Just kind of describe what you think that that might look like. 
And it's beautiful. A lot of times we can create a vision of here's the husband I want to be, here's the wife I want to be, here's who I hope to be with God. And, here's, and it's easy in some ways to kind of articulate a vision of our life. But to actually endure, to actually live out day after day after day, through valleys and through peaks and through the mundane, maybe even most difficult, is what is actually the most challenging thing. And as Daniel writes to God's people to be faithful in the middle of Babylon, they need strength for that. They need wisdom for that. But they need endurance because it's not a short stint. It is a long time. And the same is true in our life. Without endurance, you'll miss out on so much that God has for you. Without endurance, you might be able to have kind of some exciting moments, but you will miss what God wants to do in your relationships. You'll miss what God wants to do in your faith. You'll miss what God wants to do through you and people around you. Without endurance, you'll miss out on so much that God actually wants to do. So how do we endure? How do we keep going? How do we endure in our faith in the middle of a culture that is pushing us, pressuring us, tempting us away from endurance? So wherever you are, whether you're maybe kind of just starting out in life with God or faith or maybe even kind of afraid to actually jump in, or maybe you're in the middle of it, or maybe you're somewhere on the spectrum, wherever you are, let's look at how Daniel helps us to endure. And we'll read the whole thing and then see what we can learn from this. And this is one of the most famous chapters in the book of Daniel. It's uh, oftentimes, if you went to uh, like Sunday school growing up, this is, this is a classic story, Daniel and the lion's den. Okay? And it sounds like a cute little kid's story, but there's some pretty graphic things in there as well. Here we go, Daniel 6. Darius, this is the new king, decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be... Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. So Daniel, and this has happened all throughout his life, he kind of keeps getting promoted. And once again, he finds himself kind of governing in this administrative role where he's responsible for multiple things and multiple people and multiple parts of the organization. And as often happens, that creates jealousy in those that he is leading. It creates jealousy in some other people that would probably want his job. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever. It's easy sometimes, just so you know, this is a good little uh, extra insight. People can be filled with flattery and super nice and just the best people on the planet to some people because they're trying to get their way, because they have evil intentions. And so sometimes we see, wow, this person seems so kind. They, they, they greeted me with live forever, which why don't we greet each other like that? We need to retrain our greeters in the front. May you live forever. 
Here's a connect card. Uh, that would, I think that would add some spice. <clears throat> Uh, but anyways, it's easy to kind of be nice for your own intentions. All the admin, this is what they say, all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict for 30 days. Anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown in to the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. He's not trying to hide it. He's not keeping it in secret. His windows are open. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and it's irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king. And the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. So he likes Daniel. Daniel is someone that is serving the kingdom well. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, it's a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king established can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. They don't want any sort of kind of rescue that's happening in the middle of the night. It's this is, he is locked in here to be eaten. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed. It's not like he was bleeding all over the place, but like, I'm alive, God saved me. But he's like drenched in blood. It's not like that. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. That part's usually left out of Sunday school. <laughs> they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is 
the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So as we look at this, let's begin with this. What does endurance look like? What is it actually, what is the call to endure? What, what does it look like? And there's at least a couple different things that we see in this story. The first is this, that we are to serve where God has us, to serve where God has us and to serve well. I don't know how you think about your job. We have all sorts of different kinds of careers that are represented in here. Some of you are in teaching, some of you are in software, some of you are in administration, some of you are in marketing, some of you are in uh, the trade, some of you in law, all sorts of things all over the place. And I, if I didn't mention you, don't, don't take offense. We're, we have all sorts of different things in this, in this room. How do you think about your job? Do you think about your job as intricately related to your faith? Or is it something that is kind of separate? Is it faith happens in this room, community group, happens uh, maybe in those rough moments when you're praying, but work is kind of its own thing? Maybe it's a paycheck to help provide for your family, and so in that way it's linked to faith, but not necessarily thinking about it as all of this is actually connected to my life with God. You know what it says about Daniel? It says that he distinguished himself above the administrators, and there was no negligence or corruption found in him. I love that it highlights both of those. No negligence means he wasn't dumb, and no corruption means he wasn't evil. Sometimes you might be evil, uh, but you are stupid, so you can't even get away with that much evil. Sometimes you might, be, you might be really righteous, you're really honest in your work, but you just do a bad job. You're just not that good at it. Daniel was not negligent, and he was not corrupt. He distinguished himself. He, it also says because he had an extraordinary spirit within him. That means this, God is empowering him to do his job, and Daniel's an administrator. He's not, we have a book in the Bible about him, but Daniel's an admin. That's what his job is. He, it says he's the head administrator, but he's a guy that's running numbers and doing spreadsheets on stone tablets and using an abacus and whatever. I mean, that, that's what he's doing. He's an administrative dude that's running stuff. And yet it says that the reason he was able to do it so well, the reason he was able to do it with a quality and a holiness is because God was empowering him. God was at work within him. He had an extraordinary spirit. The spirit of God is empowering Daniel to do his normal, everyday work. That's so important for us. Because if we think that our faith and our work are totally kind of separate spheres, we'll miss what it means to be faithful. We'll miss what it means to actually endure in faithfulness because we're cutting off a giant chunk of our life from our faith. But to endure in faithfulness, to endure in what God has, you, has for you, means that we are to serve well in the places, in the areas that God has put us. And it also means this, God is with you in those things. God, those things are not distinct. God sees your job. 
God, whatever your work is, God sees it. God cares about it. God wants to help you with it. Think about that, that even if you experience challenges in your work right now and there's things in your job that are difficult, God wants to help you. God wants to empower you with his extraordinary spirit so that you do better and that you do it honestly and well and righteously. God is involved and endurance looks like serving faithfully where he has us. The second thing it looks like is that we to endure looks like a, a serving wherever God has put us, but it also looks like this, and we've seen this all throughout Daniel's life, but it's a serving of God. The king says it here, your God whom you continually serve, and then later again, your God whom you continually serve. This is what Daniel's reputation was. He was known as someone who continually, that's an endurance word, he was known as someone who continually served his God. That's what Daniel's reputation was known as. Would people be able to say that about us? That's someone that continually serves their God. Not there was kind of this one bright moment, not they did this one thing, this one time, but is this who we are known as, even by our friends and neighbors and employers that are not Christians, that we are known as someone who continually serves our God? Listen, most of you will live a long time. I've seen tragic deaths, and that might happen in this room, but most of you will live a long time. Most of you aren't starving for food. Most of you have shelter. Most of you, most of us will live a, a long time, maybe even beat the, the national average. Most of us will live a long time, which means that we have to decide, am I going to serve God each of those years? Am I going to be faithful to God each of those years? Will I serve him continually? Daniel is in his late 80s, maybe early 90s at this point. He was brought into Babylon as a teenager, probably 15. And now, I know we've only gone six chapters, but it's, this is where he's at. He's brought in as a young teenager, faithful to God, serving God as a young man. And now he's in the twilight years of his life. He has passed through several different kings, and now even different empires, and he is continually serving God. This shows us so much. Part of what it says is this. We don't mature into faithfulness, and I don't mean by that that you don't mature in your faithfulness. You do, but what I mean is it's not that if you're young, you just kind of say, oh, one day I'll be faithful. It'll just kind of happen. Daniel started when he was young, saying, as a teenager, I will be faithful to God. And you don't mature out of faithfulness. It's not like, oh, that was kind of my youth, and those were the fiery days when I loved God and went to camp, and, and now I got a job. Daniel's an old man, possibly walking in a wheelchair to the lion's den, you know? He's like, we're going to throw you in the lion's den, okay? Let, give me a moment, you know? It might have taken him a while. Daniel is an old man, and he hasn't matured out of faithfulness either. He hasn't said, that's for the youngins. That's for the, whatever the Jewish term for whippersnappers is. He hasn't, he hasn't said that. He hasn't retired from faithfulness. Think about even, I, I was thinking about this, of just people that are older in life, and 
you know, people live even much longer than some of what I'll show you, but people that are older in life that didn't quit, that kept going, that kept doing stuff. This, you may know this man, Colonel Sanders. You know, he started KFC at 65 with a social security check. That's true. So when you cash your first social security check and you think, oh, I'm going to buy some golf clubs, you could start a chicken empire. That could be what you do instead. Colonel Sanders, Nelson Mandela became president at 75. 75 years old, he became president, South Africa. This is Momofuku. He's the inventor. All college students love this man. He invented top ramen and cup of noodles at 61. This man has saved many people's lives. You know, They would starve if it weren't for him. <clears throat> Lunch for 10 cents? Oh, yes. Okay. Although during like the height of the pandemic, they were selling top ramen for like $30 or something. It was like gold, impossible to get your top ramen in your toilet paper, you know, which they probably do go together. So <laughs> uh, J.R. Tolkien, my hero, 62 years old is when he published Lord of the Rings. 62. I mean, all of that, even if you just think about the recent presidential election and it was Hillary and it was uh, Trump, and it was Biden, all in their 70s. And Bernie Sanders was like 200, I think. It was all these people that are old, right? And they're running the nation. And you don't have to, you don't have to give up just because you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s. You know, I, I read when I was kind of doing some of this research that Thomas Edison was still filing patents into his 90s. It's like, you, it's, you can keep going. And Daniel's an example of that. Daniel is showing, I served God when I was a teenager at 15. I, I love Daniel's life because he, sometimes, sometimes both sides, kind of the, the young teenagers and sometimes the old, sometimes both of them think that faithfulness to God is something for the other one. So old people sometimes think, oh, that's for the young people. And yeah, I remember when I was young and I had all this passion and I had all this fire and yep, that's when you're doing that. But then life happens and now it's time to retire, and now it's time to kind of be able to relax. And sometimes young people think, I'm a teenager. I'm supposed to love and see the world and make mistakes and sow my oats. And when I'm old, then I'll serve God. Oh, that faithfulness, that's for old church ladies. That's what it's for. Daniel's life says, I was faithful as a young man, and I'm faithful as an old, old man. That's what it looks like to endure. It looks like serving wherever God has put you in your work, in your job. And it looks like a mindset and a heart that is saying, my faithfulness isn't conditioned by my age. My faithfulness is because I serve God. And God was there when I was a baby. And God is there when I'm going into the coffin. And so my whole life is to serve God continually. That is what endurance looks like. Listen, are you taking every season of your life and bringing it to him and saying, this belongs to you. It belongs to you when I'm young. For those of you younger, I just got married. It belongs to you. I just had a kid. This season belongs to you. I just got kind of established in my career. This belongs to you. Okay, I'm in kind of the middle of life. This belongs to you. I'm, I'm retiring or looking at retirement or just retired. Okay, God, this belongs to you. Are we bringing every season of our life before God and saying, I want to serve you with this season? 
That's what Daniel shows to us. He takes every season and says, I'm yours. Imagine a whole life of faithfulness. That's what's available to us. That's what we're called to, and that's what we can have. This is what endurance looks like, but it's not easy, which brings us to the second part. Why is it hard to endure? Sometimes we hear about endurance, and, and it can be inspiring. We can look at that and go, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. I, man, I want to keep going. I want to keep having ideas and, and keep having passion and energy and vent top ramen or whatever. Like, I want to keep going. Sometimes that inspires us, but it also is like, oh, that's, that's hard. It's easier to say, yeah, I'll give you these years. Why is it hard to endure? Maybe even just think about when is it hardest to serve God? When's it hardest to serve, honor, live to obey God? Some people would say maybe in school when they're younger. Oh, it's really hard in school. Friends aren't Christians. Peer pressure. It's really hard then. Some people might say, well, it's really hard to serve God when you start a family because then it's busy and it's diapers and it's, it's wiping and it's being spit up on and it's sleepless nights and it's, man, that's hard to serve God with young kids. And sometimes people would say maybe it's uh, just kind of you're further along in your career and you're buying a house and kind of those middle years of life and there's so many things going on and so much busyness happening. Maybe that's when it's hardest to serve God. Maybe it's when you're retiring. There's a lot of times it can be hard to serve God. And that's kind of the point. I don't know if there's a time that you can say, this is when it's easy and this when it's hard. Each season brings its new challenges. Each season, each year of your life brings new opportunities that are difficult, that make it hard to keep serving. So often when I talk to people, and I feel this mindset in myself at times, we kind of believe that there's this hump that we get over. And as soon as I get over that, okay, now things will be easy. And that can be all sorts of things for you. That can be once I get this job, all right. Once I get this house, all right. Once I kind of get this sickness taken care of, okay. Once I move, all right, there we go. Once my kids are this age, okay. And we can believe there's this hump that we get over, and then it'll be easier to read our Bible, to pray, to build relationships with people that don't know Jesus, to work for justice in our communities, to obey God, whatever it is. And I'm here to tell you, there's no hump. There's no humping in Christianity. There's no hump. There's no getting over the hump. It doesn't happen. It's all, it's all humps. There's always a new difficulty. Listen, Daniel's hardest point in his life came when he was old. This is at the end of his life. They are now trying to find a charge against Daniel and they throw him into a lion's den. This is the worst it's gotten so far for Daniel. The first challenge was, am I going to eat the king's meat and wine? No, I'm not going to do that and be faithful. Okay, that's hard to resist that. But that's not as hard as this. He has now people at the height of his career and at the twilight of his years has a whole government accusing him and trying to find wrong with him. 
Daniel gets presents, presented challenges earlier in his life where, okay, am I able to interpret the dreams of the king a couple different times? Am I able to stand up to this king and tell him boldly what God's word is? There's challenges all along his life, right? But this is as hard as it gets. Sometimes the hardest point in your life is the next season. Even though we often think, as soon as I get through this, I'll be able to manage. As soon as I get through this, I'll be able to do it. Daniel shows us this. It's hard to endure because you will have, it, just hear this. It's hard to endure because you will have a lifetime of difficulty. I was thinking about this for my life. I think my life is as hard now as it's ever been. And I, I've gone through way worse seasons of suffering. I'm not in any kind of intense suffering right now. But when I just think about what it means to be faithful to God, I think it's as hard now as it's ever been. And probably five years ago, I would have said the same thing. I think that oftentimes life gets harder and harder and the challenges get harder and harder. Now, hopefully you're Muscles of faith have been built. Hopefully your endurance has been built. That's why even though Daniel is facing the hardest stuff, probably for him, he was able to withstand it because of all of the little things that led up to this for 80 years. Life is challenging to endure because we should expect not a get through it mindset, but a be faithful in it mindset. That changes your perspective. If instead of believing that ease comes after the hump, you say, faithfulness in the middle. That's what I'm doing. It might be easy today. It might be hard today. But faithfulness in the middle. It's hard because it's a lifetime of difficulty. And it's hard because of this. It's not just that it's hard to endure because we're tempted with things. It's not just hard to endure because there's kind of cultural pressure around us or that maybe you have doubts or things inside of you. It's hard to endure because oftentimes faith costs us. Oftentimes faith, it's Daniel's actual faith that made it hard for him. Unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Now, I hope that that can be true of all of us, that the only thing that someone is able to charge against us is our faithfulness to God. Not our negligence, not our corruption, not our character, but our, it's actually our character. It's actually our relationship with God. It's actually the good that gets us in trouble. I hope that that can be true of us. But what this shows us is this. Part of why it's hard to endure is because our faith will often cost us. Now, we live in America. We live in Denver, Arvada, 2022. It's not that bad. There's places around the world where your faith literally could get you thrown into a lion's den or killed. But your faith probably has costs to it. It probably has people liking you costs. It might have career costs. There might be social pressure costs. There might be embarrassment costs. There might be kind of relational, emotional costs of... Am I going to be able to be friends with these people anymore? What do they think about me? Oh, they do think negatively about me. There's costs that we pay from our faith. And that happens all the time. Even if we're not tempted, even if we're not kind of presented with being thrown into a lion's den, we do face costs. Have you faced them? 
Do you feel some of that pressure? If you haven't, maybe it's because you've given in. Maybe when the topics come up, you, you just kind of go with the flow. Maybe you don't want to create any waves. But our faith, listen, here's what we should expect. We should expect that our faith will have costs. If we think that what faith is, is just kind of this inspiring, uh, make you happy kind of thing, then we will be surprised and probably avoid any cost that there might be. But we follow the man that picked up his cross. And that's what Jesus' call is when he calls us. Pick up your cross and follow me every day. Pick up your cross and follow me. So if you're following a guy with a cross on his back, we shouldn't expect, this is going to be fun. We should expect, oh, there's a cost to this. We're following the one that's bearing his cross and invites us to the same thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. That's the invitation. That's the call. So we should expect it's going to be hard to endure because it's a lifetime of difficulty and because faith often has a cost. I'm not saying that's easy, but it's true. And the good news is that Jesus already has walked that road and he is with us and he knows the difficulty. He knows the challenges. He knows the costs to the extreme and is able, therefore, to strengthen us, to be with us, to serve us in the middle of the cost that we pay as we follow him. So it's hard to endure because there is often a cost. Final question, how can we endure then? How can we endure? Endurance looks like serving where God has put us, and it looks like serving God. It's hard because it's a lifetime, and it's hard because faith has a cost. Final thing is, how can we endure? How did Daniel endure? Where did this strength come from to say, can you keep going your whole life? Can you keep going when confronted with a lion's den? Can you keep going? How? How did he do it? And here's what it said. Very simple. He was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. So simple, and yet so much packed into that. He was able to endure this specific moment of difficulty because he trusted in God. But how was he able to endure all the different things? We've already looked at. It's the same thing. He trusted in God. How was he able to endure? How will you be able to endure for a lifetime, not a season? Listen, God's vision for you is not a season of do really good this month. God wants you to endure a lifetime. How? For Daniel, for us, it's as we trust in God. Here's what that means, because I know that's such a simple little phrase that if I just left you with trust in God, sometimes we even say this. And, and I heard somebody say this once, and I think it's so true. We should never use the phrase, just trust in God, as if, oh, that's all you have to do, just trust in God, because trust in God is the very opposite of what so much of our instinct is, of self-reliance and self-sufficiency and self-confidence. It's the opposite 
of so much of what's hardwired into us that to trust in God is never just trust in God, as if it's easy. So what does it mean to trust in God? Well, it means at least two things. It means that we trust in God eternally. How are you good with God? Some of you maybe are not even Christians and you're exploring faith. How, how can you be good with God? How can you be good with the one that made you and created you? What, what will it take? And oftentimes we think that the answer is, I need to do some certain things. Live a good life. Even for Christians, we oftentimes think this, that the way that I can be good with God is if I try hard to follow Jesus, if I try hard to be like Jesus, if I love Jesus, if I believe the Bible, if I have enough kind of confidence in who he is, then I'm good with God. He'll see I did my best. If I die, I go to God and I say, I did my best. I tried to love you. I tried to follow you. I tried to tell people about you. I tried to serve you. I, I was on setup at church. I got there at 7 a.m. I don't think that's what time you have to get here if you're on setup. If you're like considering, oh, crap, I was going to join setup. I was there at 8 a.m. We'll just say that, okay? Uh, it, w- whatever it is, sometimes we think if I do these good things, I'm good with God. If I try to be like him and love him, the Bible says something totally different. It says that your salvation comes as you trust in what he did for you. That you look at Jesus on the cross and that says to you, I could never be good enough. There's not enough pipe and drape in the world to be good enough. There's not enough giving. There's not enough serving. There's not enough kind, encouraging notes. There's not enough uh, trying to be like Jesus that could ever get me good with God. It's him on the cross saying, I died for you, for your sin, and I'm raised to give you life with me, that my record goes to you. So your sins are forgiven, your debt is cleared, and now you're in my family, and God looks at you the way he looks at Jesus. See, trust in God. You endure, you endure as you trust in God. Part of what that means is for salvation, that you take off your reliance on yourself and you transfer it to him. You no longer are leaning on, okay, I think I'll be okay with God because of what I've done. Instead, you're putting all that weight on Jesus and saying it's because of what you've done. I trust your salvation. This is, by the way, different from every other world religion. Every other world religion and Christianity, wrongly interpreted, says some sort of do these things and then you get God or heaven or paradise or nirvana or whatever it is. Do certain things, you'll get the prize. Christianity says you could never do this, but Jesus came and saved you. It's a beautiful thing. That's what it means to trust in him. We trust in him for salvation But we don't just trust in him for salvation in the eternal sense. We trust in him for salvation in the daily and circumstantial sense. That's what happens with Daniel here is that he trusts in God, whether it's the wine and the king's meat at the table. He trusts in God as he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and Belshazzar's handwriting on the wall. He trusts in God as he is thrown into the lion's den. He takes whatever he is facing in his life 
And he says, God, I need you. And I trust that you can come through for me. So here's what this means for you. What are you facing in your life right now? What are you facing? What's on your heart? What's keeping you up at night? What's burdening you? What, what's going through your mind? What's, what, what are you facing? What's difficult? What are you anxious about? What relationships, what sickness, what suffering, what sin, what, what areas in your life are you, that you, you know what they are. They're in front of you, and these are, these are the things. What are you facing? Confusion, things that you're trying to figure out. What are you facing? Trusting in God to save you doesn't necessarily look like trusting that God will deliver you out of that and rescue you from it. But what it does look like to trust in God is to say, okay, I believe you can save me, either by delivering me from this, or I believe you can save me because I'm going to come to you in the middle of my anxiety and believe that you can give me peace. And now I'm saved. I believe that in the middle of my sorrow and suffering, I'm coming to you and I can experience your comfort. And I'm saved. I believe that in the middle of my confusion and where there's areas and issues I'm trying to figure out that are perplexing me, that I can come to you and receive your wisdom. And I'm saved. I believe that in the middle of my guilt, in the middle of my shame, I can come to you, receive forgiveness. And I'm saved. I believe that in the middle of the relationships that are difficult and I don't know kind of how to manage them, I can come to you. And I can remember how you have treated me, how you've been gracious with me, how you've been patient with me, and I'm saved. See, the way that you endure is trusting God. A trust in God for salvation eternally, but a trust in God for salvation circumstantially in all the things that you are facing. Is that how you handle the things that you're facing? If not, what it means is, who are you trusting? We're trusting ourselves in some way. We're trusting Google. We're, tr we're trusting our friends or family that we ask. We're trusting just my own grit and ability to push through. We're trusting maybe time, that time will just take care of everything. We're, we're trusting all of these other things. And listen, there is so much available to us. There is so much salvation that is available to us. But if we don't trust in God to receive it, then we won't. God is over here saying, I want to give to you comfort and peace and forgiveness and love and power and grace and everything else. But if we stand here and say, this is so hard, this is so difficult, how do I get through it? How am I going to make it? Maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try just pushing harder. Maybe I'll try escaping with alcohol or Netflix or pornography, or maybe I'll try friends, or maybe I'll just try changing my circumstance and my situation. Try all these things. And says, Daniel was saved because he trusted in God, and you and I will be saved as we trust in God. There's so much available to us that he wants to bring into your life. It comes as we trust him by coming to him. I think about it as um, 
because I was thinking about this, kind of maybe a helpful illustration might be a shelter or house. I only watched maybe 20 minutes of the first episode. My, my brother was trying to get me to watch it. It's called Alone. It's this kind of survival series. Maybe some of you have seen it. They drop them off in the middle of the wilderness, and they have to survive grizzlies and survive all sorts of crazy things, right? Just, all right, you're by yourself, survive. And what's the first thing that they need to do? Build a shelter, right? You have to build a shelter. That's one of the very first things that you want to do if you want to survive is you need a shelter. And then how are you going to survive beyond just that initial moment? A shelter. How are you going to survive if it gets freezing cold? How are you going to survive if a grizzly comes after you? How are you going to survive just, you know, the temperatures changing, even the heat or whatever? Shelter. Now, the same thing is true in our life when you think about God that there's kind of this initial moment of salvation that is you are brought into the shelter. But how do you face all the different elements? How do you face all the different things in life that are going to come at you? The daily circumstantial things, the daily grizzly attack, the daily temperature change that's too hot, that's too cold, the rain. How are you going to face that? It's the shelter. And that's what the Bible uses over and over for God. It calls him our refuge saying that he is the place that you experience salvation. Whatever you're facing, he is the place where he brings you into him as refuge in Jesus, and he's the place for today, for tomorrow, for whatever it is that's in front of you that you face, he's the refuge. Now, I want to make one last point, and then I'll close out here, which is where did that come from? We endure by trusting in God, a trust eternally and a trust circumstantially. Where did that trust come from? Where did, how, did he, how did he tap into that trust? And it came from prayer. It says that three times a day he got on his knees, prayed, gave thanks to his God, and again, look at the endurance language, just as he had done before. That means this is how Daniel lived his life. How did Daniel have all this faith? How did Daniel have all this trust? How did Daniel keep going? How did he start as a teenager and end in his 90s, able to stay with such trust in God that he could face lions? How? He endured praying. He endured constantly in prayer. Because here's what prayer is. Prayer is taking whatever it is that we believe and it's continuing to tap into it. It's taking whatever we believe that's true about God, and it's pushing it into our hearts. Faithful, this is something I've said over and over again, faithful means being full of faith in who God is. How do you get that fullness of faith in who God is? It, there's a lot of ways. This is a way. Reading your Bible is a way. But a big part of that is prayer. That is part of how we fill ourselves up with who God is. Think about prayer. There's times in your life that you felt stuck, right? There's times in your life where maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it was a decision. And maybe it was for you. Maybe it was for somebody else that you loved. And in those times where you've been brought to the edge, in those times when you most felt like this is beyond me, Usually, we pray. Usually, when you're in that moment, the instinct inside of us is, I need to pray. 
And here's what that's saying. It's saying we know in the hardest moments that we need more than us. We know that in the most difficult moments, in the most pressing moments, we know I do not have enough. I need something outside of me. And in those moments, we get a glimpse of it. We get this little glimpse and we go, ah, prayer connected me with something beyond me. We get these little glimpses of it. But what if you could live in that? What if it didn't just have to be those moments that you're pushed to the edge? What if it didn't have to just be a glimpse? But what if you could live in that reality of living with more than you, of living with something beyond my wisdom, beyond my power, beyond my ability, beyond my love, beyond my patience? What if you could live in that? That's how you endure. That is what prayer is. It is filling us up with faith in who God is so that you are living with faith, not just in the extreme moments, but in your life. Think about water. If you, uh, if you exercise or you go on a hike or you do something that kind of maybe you're helping a friend move or something that's exerting a lot of energy, right? At the end of it, you feel thirsty and you know your need because you kind of push yourself to this moment and you feel, okay, I am thirsty. And you guzzle water. But is that the only moment that you need water? We, we need water all the time. And you live in Colorado. You need water extra, right? Your lips are so chapped and you're, you know, all that, right? You, we need to live hydrated, not just in the moments that we most feel it. If you only drank water in the moments that you totally felt parched and like you were, oh my gosh, if you only drank water then, your body would fall apart. You need water. We need to live spiritually hydrated. That is what prayer does for us. It fills us up with faith. This is what Daniel used to endure. He trusted God. And that trust came from the filling that prayer gives. Where whatever situation you're in, whatever you're facing, the constant habit is, I'm going to God throughout my day, throughout my life. This is how Daniel had his power. The final thing that, oh man, forgot about that. Can't forget about this. Okay, so if you are on the newsletter, I announced that we're going to do a fast. We do a fast every fall and every kind of spring before Easter. And we do this every fall, and Daniel's a great opportunity to think about that. What would it look like if we intentionally said, we're going to enter into a season of prayer saying, I need God more than even food. And so we're going to live in a glass box like David Blaine. No, I'm just kidding. I'm asking you as our church to fast one meal a week, but to set an alarm on your phone or your stopwatch, whatever you use, three times a day and pray. That can be for two minutes, can be for 10 minutes, however long, but to say, I want to try to enter into a season of 30 days of constantly filling myself with faith. And so if you go to this link, bit.ly, capital matters, so faithful 22, you can sign up for the fast, or if you were on the newsletter, it was in there. It starts tomorrow. Every week, if you've done this before, send out kind of prayers to be thinking about and praying about on Sundays. This will help us to put into practice what Daniel's saying. Here's what, here's what um, the king ends with. He says about God, 
Sometimes in the book of Daniel, the, the greatest testimonies to who God is come from the pagan kings, which is interesting. He says he's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He rescues, he delivers, he performs signs and wonders. And you think about Daniel. What was it that he was filling himself with even as he prayed? What was it he was thinking about God? How did Daniel get the power to endure? He knew that he served a God that endures. Even the language about God is about endurance. He endures forever. His kingdom doesn't end. He keeps going. See, Daniel was able to be faithful to God for a lifetime because he knew and had seen that God had been faithful to him for a lifetime. He was able to serve God continually because he saw that God had served him continually and wouldn't stop. This is how we endure. And we see it even so much more clearly than Daniel does. We all want to be faithful, not just for a season, but to endure forever. And that comes as we are serving God, serving where he's put us. It comes as we fill ourselves up with faith in who he is. We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you're a Christian, communion is a time that we remember the faithful God that we have. There's uh, little cups in the back. If you didn't grab, you can grab one of those that's got the, the bread and the juice in there. And what we're remembering is that we have a faithful God who served us on the cross. That he was devoured, not by lions, but by all the wrath of God on the cross. He was devoured he experienced the penalty of sin. He experienced the injustice of the world. And it happened to him. He wasn't rescued. He wasn't saved from it. He took it all on himself so that we could be saved, so that we could find life, so that through his death, we would be brought life. And through his life, through his resurrection, we would have life with him forever. And now, and so as you take communion, remember a faithful God that has served you. Remember a God that endured, it says about Jesus, he endured the cross. Remember a God that endured for you. And then ask him to help you to endure in all that he's called you to. Confess where you haven't. And then we'll sing and respond to our good God. And if anyone needs prayer for healing or anything else in their life, We'll be in the back and we'd love to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your endurance. Jesus, that you were steadfast on the cross, that you remained. It says in Hebrews that you endured the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before you, the joy of honoring your father and bringing us into your family. That allowed you to keep going. Lord, let that fill our hearts today and as we pray continually so that we may endure in what you have called us to. We pray that you would take these truths and move them even deeper into our hearts as we sing. In your name, Jesus. Amen.